joined now by Paul Fitzpatrick, the sports editor of the Anglo Celt and author of the new book Charlie, the story of Charlie Gallagher, the GEA's lost icon. Paul, start off maybe with telling for people who may have never heard of Charlie Gallagher, who was he and what was it that um, inspired you to write a book on him? Well, people are asking me this off since the book came out, Mark, um, just that question. The best way I can describe him is to call him the George Best of Gaelic football. Um, he was in the same era. He, he played in the 1960s with Cavan. And it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of sad and, and strange that people outside of Cavan don't really know much about him because back in the 60s, he was an absolute household name. He was the leading scorer in the country for, for three years in the 1960s. He, he won four of the titles and played in four All-Ireland semi-finals, obviously, including a replay in 69. He captained Cavan to, to two rows and he won uh, four Railroad Cup medals. Uh, one as captain, and he was regularly in in the in the national media at the time. Obviously, there wasn't as much media as now, but he was all over the papers, and um, because he he had a certain swagger and a real charisma to him. He was a very uh, handsome looking man, jet black hair, and often described as a sort of movie star um, looks. And he played with a real style; like he'd be immaculately turned out. And talking to some of his teammates and opponents for the book, they described how. He would never score um, straightforward points. He'd always score spectacular points. So it's, he sort of had a trademark where he would shoot from the corner flag and he, he had an uncanny ability to get them over the bar. Like in his career, I think I think he, I have in the book that he scored 49 goals and 674 points for Cavan. Um, he was just... he was just um, One guy I, I interviewed described him as as a sort of man that comes along every 50 years. So he was, he was the, a very rare combination of of football ability and charisma and personality and with, with the looks and all that. To get all that in, in one package is very unusual. So, And then in later life, he had uh, a very bad problem with alcoholism, um, which would have contributed to his death. He died uh, from a drowning accident at the age of 51, which is 30 years ago this year. So you had that sort of a, a poignant aspect to his life as well, again, like George Best. Yeah, he came onto the Cavan panel, I suppose. He started he, uh, uh, started out as a senior footballer for uh, Cotill in the late 50s, played all through the 60s. He's probably, uh, his reputation probably suffers a little outside of the county just because he ca- happened to come on upon a Cavan team that was really at the end of a period of dominance. You know, he, uh, he, the, the, yes, he won some Ulster titles, but he never, I don't think he even ever got to actually an All-Ireland final, let alone win one, which is probably something that he... Uh, which is his legacy has suffered because of. Absolutely, yeah, I'd agree with that. Like, like when he so there is a quote in the book from from a fellow who says that when Charlie was a minor, he was as well known as a lot of senior intercounty players. And looking back through match reports and stuff like that, back then you'd have um, team sheets for for the for the minor matches, and you'd have you know M Farley, P Riley, P Fitzpatrick, whatever it was. But when it comes to Charlie Gallagher, he got his full title, Charlie Gallagher. So you could tell that he was something special even at, at that age. And there was a big cry out in the county in 1955 for him to be brought into the Cavan senior team before they played Kerry in the All-Ireland semi-final. He was still minor. And uh, they didn't bring him in anyway. And uh, his brother Brian was on the team. He had won an All-Ireland in 52 with Cavan. And Cavan drew a Kerry in 55 and then lost a replay. So Charlie came into the team in November of that year for, for the National League. And really, like, he was coming into what looked on paper like one of the strongest setups in the country because Cavan had won five All-Irelands between 33 and 52 and, and only three years had passed. You were in, this was the end of 55. They had just drawn with Kerry in the All-Ireland semi-final who, who beat Dublin in the final. 
Um, and little did anyone know Kevin would go seven years without winning Ulster, which was the longest they had ever gone at that stage. And it was cause of absolute despair in the county. People thought that the traditional football was almost dead because we had gone seven years without winning it. But eventually they came along with 62 and won it. By then Charlie was was uh, 24 and he was an Ulster player back when the Railway Cup was a big thing. And he sort of carved out his legacy then throughout the 60s. He won another... another um, Ulster title in 64 and in 67 I think by common consent 67 was the one that got away for Cavan they, they, they beat down in the Ulster finals they beat down in four Ulster finals in the 60s two of those went down were All-Ireland all champions but uh, they lost to Cork by a point in the semi-final and by all accounts everything went against Cavan that day and that was the year they probably should have won it 69 they came back and lost the semi-final to Offaly in a replay and Charlie never played again after that but I, I honestly believe if if he had gotten All Ireland, he probably would be on the GA's team of the century because in in eighty four when they named the team of the century, they, on the same night they they announced the a greatest fifteen never to win an All Ireland medal, and it was it was almost that equal billing, and uh, Charlie was named at at corner forward on that team, so you know at at that stage his his reputation was still absolutely huge, but over the years it's probably dimmed and maybe just been forgotten about a little bit. Yeah, I think by the time he retired, he was the third highest scorer ever in the Ulster Championship. And he, um, you know, in the, in the intervening years, there haven't actually been that many players that have overtaken him as well. Like, so that shows you just how, how long lasts and that uh, whatever about his legacy may be in the, the greater conversation around, you know, across the GEA in Ireland. And the stat sheets, it still actually shows up and rings true how great of a player he was. In, when you talk about his, you know, charisma and the sort of reputation that he had um, off the field as well. What was the world of Gaelic football like around that time? Because obviously now things are kind of, you know, it's 24-7, social media, everything there is. But like, was he one of the first people maybe to carry that sort of aura around him and to um, that you know, players and fans would be enthralled by him off the field as well as on it? Yeah, he was. Like, I, I, was I was talking about it at, at the launch of the book. I was saying it, it sounds foolish to say this, but... He was bigger back then than the likes of Ronaldo or Messi would be now in terms of small town Ireland. So, like, let's say he's from Charlie was from Coothill. There might be some kids now that are that are um, you know idolised with say Leo Messi. But Charlie was even bigger back then because you didn't have TV everywhere. You didn't. You weren't exposed to all this. And to see uh, this Superman and actually walking among you was was bringing it to a different level altogether. So Charlie was a dentist by profession. And he was based in Derry, and he, he drove a sports car. Back then, there wasn't much money around, and uh, a lot of people, even playing with Calvin, wouldn't have, wouldn't have had a car. Charlie used to drive a sports car, and he would arrive into Good Hill on a Friday evening, come up from Derry, and the word would get out that Charlie was on his way, and crowds would actually gather on the side of the street. And lots of people I talk about have memories of this. Crowds of 30 or 40, 50 people would, would line up to see Charlie coming into town, and he'd wave to them and he'd stop, and he'd always have, have uh, a one-liner. So he's known for, for um, it's like Jack Nicholson, the actor. Right? They say if you ever meet Jack Nicholson, he'd always have a one-liner. Everyone has their own Jack Nicholson story. But I think everyone had their own Charlie Gallagher story. Like he, would, he was unbelievably quick and witty. I, I think what he was, was he was like a little boy that never grew up. A lot of people say that about him, that he sort of, he sort of just lived, lived the life of a, of a young fella all his, all his life, even though he was a married man and all that. But he was just mad for fun and crack and, and didn't take anything too seriously. And 
the amazing thing I found from talking to him or from from researching the book was the amount of people who said to me, oh, Charlie was my best friend. Charlie was one of my very best friends. And it, it, it painted a picture for me of a man that, that was absolutely beloved. You know, he, people absolutely adored him. And there was, I know when, when someone passes away, generally they sort of get eulogized and they might be made out to be a better person than they were. But with Charlie, like I, I conducted, I'd say, over 50 interviews for the book, and there wasn't one person ever had a bad word to say about him. He, he was just absolutely adored. And even even when it got into his, his icon abuse in later years, like, nobody nobody held it against him. It was just, just the sickness that he had. Um, you, to mention the people you interviewed, you know, you interviewed so many people for the book, including some of his teammates, people around Cavan, but he also had a, and obviously a wider reach. Um, one of the people you chatted to were, uh, was a, who had a, I'm sure Charlie had an influence on and has gone on to manage uh, me to all Ireland was Sean Boylan. He, he seems to have uh, had this um, effect on lots of people around the GA world across Ireland. Yeah, I, I saw, I can't remember how I came across that. I, I saw Sean Boylan mention him once in an interview, I think years ago when, when I was in school and I, I remember it and I looked it up and uh, so basically Sean Boylan went to, went to school in uh, Belvedere but he, after that he went to this sort of it was like a training college I think over in Claw Road somewhere over near Crumlin and on a Wednesday they, they would be brought out to play football in the Hornets and the teacher was Jim McCabe who had played on the Cavan team in 1952 and he actually went on he packed in teaching and he went on and became uh, something like um, Chief Financial Officer with the World Bank based in Paris. Jim McCabe, he's still, he's still alive. He lives in Sligo. But um, he was obviously friendly with Charlie. And on a, on a Wednesday afternoon, Charlie was in the UCD and he'd come down to the pitch. He used to train in, in, in uh, Temple Oak. And Jim McCabe and Charlie would, would go through maybe an hour or an hour and a half of practice. But Charlie used to practice, basically practice his free, kick, his free kicks and his sprinting. And he didn't waste a second of it. And Jim McKay would always ask a couple of lads uh, to stay on, catch the balls and give the balls back to Charlie. And then when, it, when, it, when the practice session would be over, Charlie would always give the lads a few quid or whatever. But Sean Boylan, excuse me, Sean Boylan said that it had a massive impact on how he trained teams over the years because when he watched Charlie in action, Charlie was known as a man who wasn't, wasn't a very, uh, wouldn't be a very great man to trade in the sense that he wouldn't run laps and all that sort of stuff, but he was deadly serious when it came to practicing his freeze and, and practicing his sprinting and stuff like that. So uh, Sean Boylan said he often told the meat players over the years about, this, about what he learned from watching Charlie Gallagher practice. Like, I, there's a chapter in the book called The Make It of a Marksman, and it just describes his practice routine, like just pure repetition. And he was renowned as the best free taker in the country. Um, so it was amazing yeah, that the sort of the fingerprints of Charlie Gallagher were right through until until the 90s and media winning all Ireland. Uh, this is obviously your second book. You also had Fairy Tale in New York, which was the story of Cavan's um, win over Kerry in 1947 in New York. What is it like researching these books? There must be so much joy in not just having the finished product, but the process of finding out these little stories and of a, of a different Ireland nearly, but at the same time, so much, so much of it is still around and you can see little remnants of it, but you, you come across personalities like Charlie, you come across mad stories like I know... Uh, I think um, wasn't it the, when you're talking about the Cavan Harry uh, final in '47 that uh, one of the players that played for Cork in the Munster final that year actually refereed the final then? Yeah, yeah, no, it was actually what that was was uh, Simon Dyson, who played for Cavan, actually had refereed the Munster final between Cork oh, and Kerry. 
40 cents a day, which is mad. But you do, you do. It's 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 totally enjoyable, Mark. I really loved it. You find yourself going down a lot of uh, rabbit holes, like, and you're looking through newspaper archives, and you come across some some wee things that that just strike you. As. For example, um, three different on three different occasions in Charlie Gallagher's career, someone dropped dead at a football match he was playing. In. He played. He played in the McCrory Cup final where the referee dropped dead in 1954. There was a man called Gallagher from from uh, Tyrone, uh, also Gallagher as well, actually. And then there was a. He played in another game in Crow Park where a spectator died, and then he played another game in Donegal where a spectator died. So it's just these weird little little things. Um, it's it's completely enjoyable, and as you said, the remnants of it are around. So like, you drive through the hill and you see the old pitch where Gallagher used to play, or you. You drive past John O'Reilly's home home place or whatever, and it, it brings it all back. But like, you, I just love it. I can't get enough of it. And I, I'm like you in that. You know, I can't understand why people don't love this old cabin football history. <laughs> trying to present it in a way that's not going to bore people is probably the hardest bit. But it, no, it's, it's great. It's a labour of love. Uh, well, I suppose the thing that struck me as well, uh, just reading actually another uh, profile I think you had on the Charlie had on the Cotill website before was. Uh, that this is a man who came into a Cavan team that, you know, if a year that they didn't win the All-Ireland was was a massive disappointment, as strange as that may sound for people outside of Cavan nowadays. But, like, yeah. they asked what was his regrets in Gaelic football, and he said he had none. So I think that kind of sums him up, as you said, his personality. He, uh, he Although he did not maybe get to the to the highest echelon in terms of uh, winning as a team at Cavan for All-Ireland, he still had a, a brilliant reputation then, and it's one that's great to celebrate now. Yeah, well, like you know, he 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 was chosen in 1964. They, they chose uh, seven footballers and horrors from Ireland to go to New York for this um, John F. Kennedy Games. They were trying to raise money for for it was I think it was I think it was after he was assassinated, and um, Charlie was one of these top seven that were chosen. And by all accounts, like he absolutely took New York by storm. People couldn't get enough of him over there, and then he, he went to Wembley. So you had a, the Wembley tournament, and uh, I know you're very familiar with that. And Charlie captain Cavan uh, two years in a row to win that. And uh, one one year they beat Galway, who were the three in a row All Ireland champions. It's like Charlie kicked the point from the corner flag to win it by one point the last minute of the game. And, uh, in in '66 they beat Sligo, and there's a there's a iconic photograph of Charlie in the in the Royal Box in Wembley um, receiving this cup. And it was I think it was only six weeks after um, after England had won the World Cup and. Bobby Moore was presented with the World Cup or the Jules Rimet Cup and he goes at that time in, in the, the exact same spot and here you had Charlie. So it's absolutely like, you know, I think George Best is, is the way to describe him and then the, the book details his decline as well. So he was living in Derry. He was a married man. His football came to an end in 69 and there was a big controversy still in Cavan about who, t- who took him off at 69 in the drawing game against Offaly. And uh, I was actually speaking to to Mick Higgins' grandson recently, and he was making the point to me that absolutely no way that his grandfather take take <laughs> Charlie off. So like it's still the debate is still raging in Cavan about that one. But and and uh, I tried to dig into that. But Charlie then was living in Derry, and the troubles were breaking out. And there's stuff in the book about his wife's car being um, held up, and she was taken hostage at one stage. At one stage, a rumor went out that Charlie had been assassinated. And there was riot. There was literally a riot on the street, and some some uh, fella had to come along and tell everyone, "Look, no, he wasn't." Charlie had gone missing for a couple of hours. Like he might have been away for a drink or something. 
and he was a very well known figure in Derry, but he started he started went into decline um around that time, the late seventies, like it was it was literally a war zone in Derry. And he was removed it wasn't a big Gaelic football town. He was removed from the source of the celebrity. He was running a dentistry practice and like his his family were saying to me like Charlie wasn't a great businessman. He, he was the type of man that because he was he was so good natured, he just wouldn't charge people. People would come in and, and he would say he would treat them for whatever their ailment was and then he would say, Go ahead, don't worry about it. And uh, he had all these pressures on his family life and all that. So he started he started going hard on the drink. In later years he moved back to Cool Hill. Really at that stage he was sort of in, in the grips of alcoholism and uh, then he died. So there's a there's a really sad um sort of a coincidence in the book. In in sixty nine Charlie was taken off infamously against Austin and Michael Greenan came on and Michael Greenan uh took a free, fourteen yard free in front of the goals. Now Charlie had scored like you know, something like three hundred frees for Kevin and he he would never miss a free like that. But anyway, it just so happened that, that Michael Green and struck the ball around and he didn't score the free and off he ended up getting away with a draw and won the replay. And 20 years to the week, Michael Green had told me, this is in the book, that he was working in the in the county council office and there was an inquest on. And when there would be an inquest, the guards would come into the council office and just get a couple of people up to fill out the jury. And he walked up and uh, sat down and wasn't at Charlie's inquest. So 20 years to the week after he came on for, for Charlie, uh, Charlie was dead, unfortunately, and Mio Green was there to, to hear the details of it, which was kind of a terrible fault and grace for, for a great man. It was, but I suppose the book, as you said, as we're saying, is a celebration of, you know, it, that his life was, he had filled, he had given so many people so much joy throughout it. Where can people find the book uh, if they want to buy it? Uh, it should be available in all in all good bookshops. <laughs> I was about to say that. In all uh, good bookshops and a few bad ones. It's in it's in it's in Asians and I know it's in um all independent bookshops it should be and and uh, it's for sale privately in Cabin as well. If anyone can't get it they can, they can get in touch with me. Perfect. And that's uh, Paul at Anglo Celt is it? That's it, Mark, yeah. Perfect. Thanks a million, Paul. Okay, Mark, thank you.